Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Oh my goodness, how did this happen? We are already to part five in our five-week series on prayer, and maybe you found this time to be informative, or maybe it's just raised more questions and sparked your curiosity. You know, I define either one as a success. I see my work as one-third answering your questions and two-thirds questioning your answers, that is, your assumptions about life and faith in God, and hopefully helping all of us, myself included, learn to ask better questions. And so if at the end of the day you've learned a few things, but also you have lots of questions about prayer, I think that is wonderful. You have all the resources you need to lean into those new questions as you explore what prayer looks like for you. But alas, I digress. Today is episode 32 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, and that's where we are, and our series on prayer continues and concludes today as we discuss what I will call healing prayer. And of all the different types of prayer we're discussing, this is probably where a lot of us might get uncomfortable, and frankly, for good reason. There's a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty that surrounds healing prayer. After all, not everyone is healed, and even for those who are, their restored health is relatively short-lived. For example, consider the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus has been dead for four days, and Jesus calls him out of the tomb. Lazarus, come out, Jesus says, and Lazarus miraculously comes to life, leaving his tomb at least for a couple more years, because eventually Lazarus gets sick and he dies, and he is put back in the exact same tomb. And so let me begin by laying out a theology of healing prayer by saying this. The Bible tells us that at the end of time, God will heal everything that is broken on this earth, the earth we now inhabit. In other words, end-time salvation involves a healing of the physical universe, which obviously includes our bodies. And so whenever Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he wasn't a disembodied spirit or a heavenly ghost. He was a resurrected person. It was Jesus' new resurrected and healed body that ascended into heaven to be one with the Father and not just Jesus' spirit. And there is a reason I think we have to understand this. Far too often we forget that God cares for the body just as much as he does for other aspects of who we are. We forget that the redemption we have in Christ is total and complete, and that it involves every aspect of who we are, our soul, our mind, our will, our spirit, our society, and of course, our body. And what this means is that whenever we pray for bodily healing, what we're really asking for is this, for God's future healing to break into our present lives. I'll say that again. We pray for God's future healing to break into our present lives. Now, what I want us to see 
is that this inbreaking of God's future healing is something that should be happening in every single one of us from a spiritual perspective. For example, consider the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As Christians, these are virtues we should all be growing in to some extent. But do you see what happens whenever we grow in love, or when we grow in joy, or whenever we grow in peace? God's future, where love, joy, and peace are all normal realities, is breaking into our present experience. And because of that, growing in the fruit of the Spirit is nothing less than the healing of our spirit. Praying for physical healing, therefore, is the other side of the same coin. In both cases, God's future healing is breaking into our present life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, with that in mind, let's take a look at what James says about healing prayer. A reading from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of our Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Here ends the reading. Now, there is a lot about this passage that interests me. For example, notice James' question, Are any among you sick? They should call the elders and have them pray. Did you notice how confidently and quickly James answers his own question? And what this tells me is that James flat out assumes that the church he's writing to has a ministry of healing prayer. James expects healing to be a part of the church's life. Otherwise, he would have explained himself a bit more. The tone of the letter makes this very clear. It would be like me saying, Are any among you sick? Well, they should go to the doctor. I would be speaking in a tone that assumes doctors can heal sick people. And so if you were to respond, Doctor, why would I go to a doctor? It would be an incredibly strange thing to say because in our world we all believe that healing happens whenever we go to the doctor. But in James's world, they all believe that healing happened when the church got together and prayed for God to go to work. In other words, it was just assumed in James's world that healing was something that God would do at least every now and again. Now, does this imply that healing prayer should replace medicine? Of course not. James tells the elders to anoint the sick with oil. In Jesus' day, oil was used for the soothing of the body and the softening of wounds. In other words, oil was a form of medicine. And so, at the very least, this passage tells us that healing prayer is not supposed to replace medicine. It's supposed to supplement medicine. And so, medical science, like all science, is a gift, and healing prayer does not reject that gift. Now, that being said... What does healing prayer require? I'd like to focus my attention on two things that James talks about in that reading. Number one is the prayer of faith, and the other is the confession of sin. The prayer of faith will save the sick, James says, 
and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. And so let's look at both of these. Number one, the prayer of faith. James says that the prayer of faith will save the sick. What exactly is James saying? Well, let me be very clear on what he is not saying. James is not saying that for someone to be healed, they can't have any doubts, or worse, that if someone isn't healed, that it's their fault. It's called the prayer of faith and not the prayer of certainty. You may recall there is this great scene in the Gospel of Mark where a man asks Jesus to heal his son, and Jesus responds, All things are possible for those who believe. And the man then says something profound. He says, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. In other words, Lord, I believe, kind of, (laughs) but please, would you heal my son anyway? And you know what? Jesus does. And so the prayer of faith is not the prayer of certainty. And so what is it? Well, the prayer of faith is a very specific and direct request. Sometimes we don't know how to pray for people, and so we just lift them up to God. Lord, we say, I don't know what this person needs, but you do. But the prayer of faith that James mentions is different. It presumes to know exactly what is needed. If the person suffers from migraines, the prayer of faith is not, God, thy will be done. No, the prayer of faith presumes to know God's will. We ask for the migraines to be removed because we know that God doesn't want people to suffer. This is what Richard Foster says about the prayer of faith, and I quote, As we come to clearness about what is needed, we invite God's healing to come. We speak a definite, straightforward declaration of what is to be. We do not weaken our request with ifs, ands, or buts, but instead we speak to God with boldness. The prayer of faith, then, is a bold request for our Father in Heaven to bring God's future healing into our present experience in a very specific way. And then number two, the confession of sin. Now, you're probably wondering, what does sin have to do with sickness? And the answer is, a lot. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that physical illness results from personal sin. That was actually the predominant view in Jesus' day, and Jesus firmly, firmly rejected it. That said, there is still a strong connection between the healing of our body and the healing of our spirit. Now, this is a very dangerous point I'm trying to make, and it's easily misunderstood, and so... I want to leave the realm of theology and appeal to medicine and social science. Perhaps you've heard of a psychosomatic illness. Psychosomatic illness begins in our mind and our emotions, you know, with anger, fear, stress, and grudges, things like that. In other words, they begin with sin. Psychosomatic illness is what happens whenever these harmful spiritual realities overflow into our body. And so perpetual anxiety and fear can become an ulcer. Unforgiveness can turn into stomach problems. Chronic stress can turn into migraines. You know, psychosomatic illness, that means it's all in your mind, right? Wrong. It's now in your kidney. It just started in your mind. Now, medically speaking, what I'm saying isn't very controversial. And please do not get me wrong. I am not suggesting that all sickness or even most sickness is fueled by emotional problems, by you know, quote-unquote sins that need to be dealt with. 
But what I am suggesting is that the relationship is much stronger than we tend to think, and I'm proposing that all physical healing needs to be accompanied by spiritual healing. And of course, Jesus taught the exact same thing. More often than not, he would heal someone physically, and then he would say something like, My child, your sins are forgiven you. Physical healing and spiritual healing always go together, and that is why James tells people seeking physical healing to also confess their sins. This is what the late Ed Friedman, a famous rabbi and family systems psychologist, said. He writes, Whenever I develop physical symptoms, I know that I've been lying to myself. Whenever I develop physical symptoms, I know that I've been telling lies to myself. Wow. In another book, he says, New discoveries in medicine have laid the groundwork for understanding the emotional aspects of physical illness. It is no metaphysical leap to say that the care of our soul will impact the overall health of our body. Now again, Friedman is not a Christian. He wasn't using the book of James to develop an alternate theory of physical healing. He was merely recording what he observed after 40 years of professional work, namely that a correlation sometimes exists between spiritual sickness and physical sickness. And so before we ask for physical healing for anything, it's always good to also do a moral inventory and to see whatever sickness we have as an opportunity to renew our relationship with God and to look for areas in our life where we're not fully obeying God or being honest with ourselves, and just to name before God those places where we fall short. You see, the beauty of sickness is that it lays bare the truth of our spiritual condition, namely that we are weak, vulnerable, and dependent creatures who need God for absolutely everything. And whenever we're healthy, that truth is never something that we fully appreciate. Whenever we're healthy, we feel like we can do anything. We feel great. We feel in control. We feel like we're the masters of our destiny. But then we get the flu or our back gives out or something else happens. And in those moments, our utter dependence is experienced and we are forced to see the truth, the truth that we are feeble creatures in desperate need of the healing that only God can provide. Now, all that said, it's so important to say, even though there is a relationship between spiritual health and physical health, that does not mean that all physical illness is the result of a spiritual problem. Again, this is exactly what Jesus rejected. Healthy spiritual people can still get cancer and autoimmune diseases. Healthy spiritual people can get the coronavirus. And so our goal here is just to see a connection, just to remember that we are one being, that we can't divide ourselves up into parts, to see a connection between the body and the spirit and not to form some weird theory of healing that takes away the mystery of grace and the mystery of life. Now, all that said, I want to read one more passage from the book of Revelation because This really is the ultimate word on healing, I think. A reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 2 through 5. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Here ends the reading. So the reason I shared this passage from Revelation is because ultimately what I want us to remember is that all healing on this earth, whether physical or spiritual, is only a sign. And to not downplay the importance of healing prayer here and now, but also to know that ultimately it's all meant to point to a great healing that awaits us all. A healing where death and crying and pain will all be a thing of the past. Now, I do know that there is a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty and and maybe even cynicism that surrounds healing prayer, and I understand that. I can empathize with all of that. But at the same time, I'm really challenged because as I read the book of James, it's really clear that the early church believed healing was a given, something that would be happening in the Christian community and something for which they were to pray. And so the question I leave us with today is this, have we stopped assuming that healing should be happening in our life? Because my guess is that there's a lot more healing that's taken place in your life than you often acknowledge. And the task I give you this week is really twofold. First, to believe and to pray for healing, and then second, to look for signs of it in your life. Let us pray. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this day, and give your angels charge over those who are scared or sick. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, heal the world, and all for your love's sake. Amen.